We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, it's the first broadcast of the new year. And because the new year makes us think of Father Time, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about time, and we're going to talk about truth. Two things that make us uniquely human. Our awareness of time and our understanding of truth. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Welcome to today's Rebellion. It's the first broadcast of 2022. As you know, last week I took a vacation. I took some time off. And I appreciate those of you who stuck with us and listened to the best of The Rebellion, some repeats, some replays. Brooks Brewer at KFAQ Radio, actually chose those episodes that he thought you might be most interested in. So I hope a refresher was helpful to you. I want to say Merry Christmas to you one last time as we exit 2021. Christ's Mass, Merry Christmas, and now I want to say Happy New Year. A new year of purpose, not haplessness, but a happy new year. These are concepts we've talked about in the past. And by the way, as you listen to me, you might be thinking, what happened to his voice? <laughs> well, I have a bit of a chest cold. Don't you yearn for the days where you could just say that to somebody and, you know, they would shrug and say, well, um, take some cough medicine or NyQuil or here's a cough drop if you need it. But now you feel like you're a pariah. You feel like you're a leper just because your voice has changed. I mean, this stuff is just insane. It's asinine. I traveled from Oklahoma to Indiana for my son's wedding over the holiday season. That's why, at least one reason, why I took the vacation. It's because I had other things to attend to, other priorities. And by the way, what a godly wedding. A perfect wedding in every way. Respectful, honorable, biblical, it was, a, it was a wedding where the bride and the groom chose to make it about Christ and his church and others than the, rather than make it about themselves. You know, a biblical wedding is a glimpse of the mystery of the bride and groom referenced in Revelation as well as Ephesians. It's a glimpse, a snapshot of Christ taking his bride and if you're born again, you understand what I'm saying right now. If you're born again, you are the bride of Christ. You're the church. And I look at these photos of my son and our new daughter-in-law, and I, I see him standing there, resolute, with a clenched jaw, staring at any adversary, with his bride, confident and secure, knowing that no one, no one can pluck her from his hand. 
to quote scripture, knowing that her groom has promised to defend her against the very gates of hell. I see them standing there in that wedding photo, and I think of Christ standing as the second person of the triune God, guarding us, protecting us, saying that not even the gates of hell will prevail against us, telling us to have confidence, confidence that no one can pluck us from his hand, telling the church to be holy and pure, telling the church to have confidence and courage. Isn't that a great message for the new year? The message of a biblical wedding. You know, the bride takes the name of the groom. That's even important. That's very important because it's symbolic of the church taking the name of Christ. The bride takes the name of the groom and we, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the church, we take his name and we have confidence in that name. Anyway, maybe I'll do a broadcast on the biblical marriage and the image of the biblical marriage as we're, uh, or as it's described in Ephesians and in Revelation and elsewhere. But it's clear, it's clear that Jesus viewed his church as his bride. Um, today I want to talk about time and I want to talk about truth. Uh, it seems to be a good place to start the new year. I want to talk about division and how we got to where we are right now and what the solution might be. So let me take a break, and when we get back, we'll talk about a time for truth. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. Again, forgive my bit of a growl here. Like I said, I've got a chest cold. No, don't panic, don't panic. I'm not panicking. NyQuil is a miracle drug. It works wonders. Cough drops are also very helpful. Vitamins are good. Drink lots of fluid, orange juice if you may, and in 7 to 10 days, you'll be fine. Isn't that what we used to say? Isn't that what your mom used to tell you? Isn't that the reality of hundreds of years of experience with these types of things? Again, I'm not a COVID denier. I know that it has extreme consequences for a very limited number of people. Those that have diabetes, those that have other comorbidities such as cancer, heart disease, or whatnot. Uh, Those that suffer obesity. I understand that for some reason this particular virus affects you in a different way or affects those folks in a different way. Or at least it has the potential to. Even for those folks, it's not necessarily a death death sentence. In fact, the statistics show that it's not. And this Omicron variant is so mild. I mean, everybody is saying that you basically have what I have right now. Do I have it? I don't know. Am I going to get tested? Absolutely not. Because what difference does it make? What difference does it make? I mean... These lines that I see of people standing outside waiting to get tested. Tested for what? To find out whether you have a chest cold or Omicron and you're going to treat it essentially the same way? What is wrong with us? What is wrong with us? And by the way, Anthony Fauci should be in jail. The way he continues to wield his power and threaten us with these asinine edicts from high above where he has no constitutional authority whatsoever to be telling us to do what he's doing. And shame on our Congress 
Shame on our elected officials for allowing him to do it. Thank the Lord for a few holdouts, a few strong leaders with spine and courage and backbone like Ron DeSantis of Florida. Anyway, that's not the topic of the show. The topic is a time for truth. And as I said, it's the new year. It's 2022. 2021 is behind us, right? So, and we had an interesting year. The last couple of years have been crazy. 2021 was another year of what I would call conflict. How can you dispute it? It was a year of anger, a year of division, a year of the vaxxed versus the unvaxxed, the washed versus the unwashed, the masked versus the unmasked. It was a year of us against them. In summary, I'd call it a time of racists calling everyone else racists, men calling themselves women, and basically Everybody accusing everyone of being the cause of everything that ails us. A year of conflict. So the question I have today is, how did we get here? How did the United States of America ever become so divided? I've talked about this repeatedly on the show throughout the year. I haven't necessarily taken this exact angle on it, though. I'm going to tell you, I know exactly how we got here. Some argue that it's political, right? And that if we would just set our partisan differences aside and stop judging others by their politics, all would be well. But that's foolish. Such thinking is wishful at best, and it's naive in the extreme. The problem isn't, I'm going to say this one more time, the problem isn't that progressives disagree with conservatives or Republicans with Democrats, or Independents with Libertarians. No, no, that's not the problem. Political differences are not the cause of the disease. In fact, debating differing opinions isn't the issue at all, in my view. You know I'm an educator. I made my entire career in the ivory tower, in colleges and universities, as a university president for the last close to 20 years. And as an educator in that venue, in that environment, I've always believed that the give and take of a good argument is actually healthy. So the debate, the argument, the disagreement isn't the issue. The disease that's plaguing our culture isn't disagreement. It's this. Here's what it is. Is that we, it's that we have completely abandoned any objective standard for deciding how to arbitrate. Arbitrate the disagreement and the differences. The problem isn't that we disagree, but rather that our nation no longer has any rational or peaceful way of deciding who's right or who's wrong. Do you get the difference here? It's not that you disagree with me or I with you or father with son or daughter with mom or that you disagree with crazy Uncle Joe who came over for the holidays or that you disagree with the other political party. That's not necessarily the problem. The problem is that when we get into these disagreements, we as a people, we as a culture, we as a country, We as a nation, we don't have any rational or peaceful way of deciding who's right 
or who's wrong. The problem is this, that we've abandoned truth. Do you remember 1992? That was the year of the L.A. riots and Rodney King, the police beating of Rodney King, presumably sparked the situation. And when all of this crazy stuff was going on, buildings were being burned, people were, one guy was pulled out of a semi-truck, and two, if maybe three, I can't remember, young men, apparently teenagers, actually dragged him out of the truck onto the concrete, and there he lied prone in the street while they threw bricks at his head. It was crazy. And as this was playing out, Rodney King became famous for a brief period of time. He came before the cameras. You remember his now famous words? He brought us to our sanity for just a brief moment by saying this, can't we all just get along? Rodney King, 1992. Well, for 200 years, the answer was essentially yes. Now, I know you're going to say, yeah, we've had conflict. I know that. Sure, we've had conflict. We've had struggles. Some of them big. Many of them were of no small significance. But for two centuries, our culture, our country, our nation, our people debated and argued and protested And yes, at time, we even fought battles. We took up arms with self-evident truths as our standard for doing so. In other words, we we had a judge. We had a judge that would define justice at the end of the day. Far from perfect but we resolved our conflict knowing that there were self-evident truths as our standard of cohesion. Generation after generation, we resolved, we resolved to find a way to just get along. And the way we did so was to trust truth as our judge and believe that it, truth, capital T, and only it would set us free. I would argue even in the Civil War, which suffered great human loss, there was an awareness that truth had to be honored. Well, some argued that truth was this, and some argued that truth was that. But as a people, we believe that in the end, truth would win out. And as a nation, when it was over, We took solace in that. Truth did win out, and we became better for it. You go back to the birth of our nation, the Declaration of Independence. It tells us that this truth, with a capital T, is bestowed on us by our Creator. It's not made up by the crowd. It's not constructed by a king. It's not the product of public consensus. No, that's not where truth comes from. It doesn't come from the crowd or the king or consensus. Truth doesn't bow to any of those gods. Truth is revealed from above. It's not made up from within. St. Paul 
confirms this when he admonishes us in his letter to the Romans. He says that the truth of God is written on every human heart. That means that we all have it. It's God's thumbprint on our heart, mind, and soul. C.S. Lewis argues this case in The Abolition of Man and in Hideous Strength, his dystopian novel. He also argues it in The Great Divorce as well as uh, Mere Christianity. So here's my point. Since the founding of America, the unalienable rights that form the building blocks of our society have found their source in God's revealed truth, not government. I'm going I'm to say that one more time. Since the founding of America, since our birthday, and in a sense we have a birthday that we're celebrating right now, right? The birth of a new year. So listen to what I'm saying within the context. Every new year is representative of a, of a time we can start over. We got so much wrong the preceding months. Now the slate is clean. And we can try to get it right this time whereas we have been wrong in the past. The birth of a new year represents time being an infant, not an old father, right? That's why time is represented as a baby in swaddling clothes, if you will, on New Year's Eve, as opposed to an ancient bearded old man that is about to die. But one more time on this, since the founding of America, the unalienable rights that form the building blocks of our society have found their source in God's revealed truth, not the government. It's the rejection of this fact, of this truth with a capital T. The rejection of it goes hand in glove with our country's consequent loss of cultural unity and cohesion. Did you hear me on that? Rejecting truth as our judge, rejecting the reality of truth as given by God, and pretending that nothing is true unless you decide it is. The government decides it is. Culture decides. Rejecting obvious truths before us, obvious truths such as racism is wrong, you can't justify it by calling it CRT. Obvious truths such as men are men and not women. And you can't call them women just because they're delusional and playing dress up. Obvious truths such as the Bible's clear about sexual fidelity. And if you honor those standards, you're going to live a better life than if you don't. Obvious truths such as the Bible tells us that you are to honor your father and mother, that your days may be well and that your life may be long. There's a reason. These are truths. These are not just folksy axioms. These are truths. And we know from our experience, from tradition, and from our rational capacities, from reason, that these sacred revelations are true. Again, there was a time when we basically agreed on that. But the rejection of this truth 
always goes hand in glove with any country's loss of cultural unity and cohesion. We can't forget that John Adams was basically talking about this, God's revealed truth as the standard, the foundation, the cornerstone of our culture, our country, the United States of America, when he said, our Constitution is made for a moral and religious people, and it's wholly inadequate to the government of any other. In other words, to live together in peace, Adams was saying this. He, as well as all the others who fought and gave us our freedoms that we now enjoy, he believed, they believed, that we must have a binding glue that comes from somewhere other than ourselves, from something bigger and better and wiser than you or me. To claim otherwise is just pure unmitigated arrogance. It's chronological snobbery, to be more precise. It's akin to pretending that all reality can be explained from within the test tube of ourselves, which is kind of crazy, right? It's like we think that everything can be defined from a closed box with no windows looking outward. This arrogance, this, this snobbery of pretending that we can explain everything, this is a creed. And I use that word intentionally, a religious thing. It's a creed of mere mortals who think they know more than the giants who have gone before them. It's a religion that shouts, we are the ones we've been waiting for and we are the change we seek. A quote from Barack Obama. It's a priesthood that believes its incantations can stem the ocean's tide and calm the nation's storms and control the world's climate. It's a holy sea that pompously presumes to redefine biology and ignore genetics. This is a cult, a cult that can cure diseases with cloth masks and replace science with scientism. It's a faith that genuflects to Lord Fauci as its pontiff with a quote-unquote vaccine as its Eucharist. It's a religion of hubris and lies in opposition to one that humbly bows to what is true. All this stuff is the opposite of Christianity, people. When Christians, quote-unquote, claim to be embracing some of this stuff, I have to shake my head. No, you're bowing to Baal. You're not bowing to the biblical God. Can't you see that? Are your hearts and minds so clouded by cultural corruption and propaganda that you can't even see that the God before you is an ugly, ugly, dominant, overbearing caricature of, of, frankly, Lucifer who sneers with a grin as you buy the lie and abandon the truth. In fact, 
this ugly worldview, this worldview that many Americans now share. It's because of it that we have to answer Rodney King's question today with no. It appears that we can't all just get along. Our new national religion, the one I just described, the one you've been experiencing over the last couple of years or more, is one of feelings over facts. It's a church of the created over the creator, of the self, the grand and glorious self, over the Savior. It's a church, a religion, of our power over God's enduring principles. We actually think we can beat God. We can beat him in defining what the human is. We can defeat him in defining what diseases are. We can defeat him in defining what the world should be. We can tear it all, all down. All that can be ignored because we're God's. And we don't need him any longer. But here's the thing. History teaches us that freedom's blood flows in the streets when truth is beheaded on the guillotine of Jacobin arrogance. No culture has ever survived the elevation of Robespierre over revelation, of lies over what is real and right and true. That's obviously a reference to the French Revolution. I mean, we've got a relatively recent example of what happens when we quote-unquote kill God and elevate ourselves, the God of the self, over the God of Scripture. What happens is a guillotine, and even the leaders of that movement are going to lose their lives both temporally here on earth and as well as eternally. So here's my deal. As we enter 2022, here's my, my challenge, my resolution, if you will. A return to true religion, a return to truth, is the only thing that will save our nation and heal our land. That's it. It's the only thing. And we need to admit that, no, we can't just all get along unless there is some standard other than ourselves that tells us how to do so. My resolution and my prayer for you, our country, our culture, our state, and our counties, and our church is that we wake up Smell the coffee, if you will, as we start this new year and humble ourselves in obedience to God rather than defy him by shouting nonsense like it doesn't matter what you believe as long as it works for you. We have to get along within the boundaries of something, some standard other than ourselves that tells us how to do so. I'm Dr. Everett Piper. Happy New Year. This is the Rebellion.